Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. On Sunday, we began Holy Week with our Lord's triumphal entrance into Jerusalem on the Sunday before his death. Tonight, on the night when he was betrayed, we continue to slow down during Holy Week and focus on the events which happened during the evening, the last evening of our Lord's earthly life. Specifically, we look at our Lord's institution of the Holy Supper, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, the sacrament of the altar. And so, to this evening, we focus on these things that are proper to the sacrament, as St. Paul does in our Epistle lesson. The first thing which is necessary and proper to the sacrament are the words. The words are extremely important. St. Paul, in his epistle to the Corinthians, rebukes the church in Corinth for their flagrant abuse of the Lord's Supper, so much to the point that it was no longer his supper. For the text, it appears as if they no longer used the words which our Lord spoke on that night. These words are essential to the supper, as Paul demonstrates when he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, before going on to repeat the same words that our Lord had already handed on to Paul, which then Paul handed on to them. Words which came from the Lord himself. They are his words. It is his supper and they cannot be divorced. The words of institution which Christ our Lord himself gave must be used. We cannot change them, thinking that we can improve upon them. We cannot add to them, and we cannot reinterpret them so that they may mean something else than what he has said. That, too, is changing his words. We have them, and we must use them as he gave them. For without the words of Christ, there is no supper. For they are his words, and they are which make his supper what it is. Yes, his first words, spoken almost 2,000 years ago, are what make the supper what it is. Those words which he spoke in order to institute the first supper with his disciples are the very same words which are active today. When I recite and chant the words of institution, it is not I who effect any change by what I do, but rather it is the Lord himself using my mouth as an instrument, the same as he does with pastors throughout the world. It is his words which he spoke on that night which effect the change in the elements so that they are no longer mere bread and mere wine, but they are also, as he said, my body, which is for you, and the New Testament in my blood. It is he who makes the supper what it is, through his words. Thus they cannot be changed or removed from the supper, for if they are, there is no supper, no sacrament. And just as the words of Christ are necessary to the supper, so too are the elements used. When our Lord instituted this sacrament, he said after distributing the bread and after distributing the wine, do this in remembrance of me. 
And since our Lord told his disciples after his resurrection and the institution of baptism, teach them to observe all that I commanded you. We must observe what he commanded. Part of this includes using the right elements in the Lord's Supper, for it is his supper, and we have no right to change the words nor to change the elements. The texts all agree he took bread. This must be the first element used. Since this was the time of Passover, he would have used unleavened bread, bread without yeast. And so we too use a bread without yeast. To use anything besides bread is to go against his command and his institution. He also took the cup after supper. And now this was not an empty cup, but a cup of something. And that something we should also use. In St. Matthew's Gospel, he records our Lord saying this during the Passover. I tell you that I will not again drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now this does not mean that in the cup was something made from any fruit which grows on any vine. And contrary to what many Baptists say, this is not a way to say grape juice. After all, grape juice had not been invented yet. Rather, it was a Jewish liturgical phrase which meant wine. Thus, in our Lord's Supper, we must also use wine. Whether it is red or white, it does not matter, so long as it is grape wine. For this is what our Lord also used, and so ordained that we use as well. And so we see the importance of using both the words of Christ and the elements which he himself had used. And since part of Christ's words are not changing what uh, he originally meant and interpreting them contrary to his meaning, if we did that, we would be changing his words. So let us closely look at those words as we have them in our epistle. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new, test, new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. There is only one way to faithfully read these words of Christ, and that is to take Christ at his word. When he says, This is my body which is for you, and this cup is the new covenant in my blood, we are to believe what our Lord has said that the bread is his body, and that the content of the cup is his blood. Yes, indeed, amen. Truly, he gives to us his true and substantial body and his true and substantial blood in this supper, along with the bread and the wine. This he not only gives to us now, but he also gave to his disciples as well on that night. A note against those who would scoff at this truth. He did not say, this is a piece of my body or have some of my blood. Rather, he says, this is my body. This cup is the New Testament in my blood. We receive, just as the disciples did, his body and his blood, as he says and promises. Now some who want to use reason as master and lord of the scriptures, 
rather than as a servant in understanding them, say that it cannot be that Jesus gives his body and blood in the supper. They say that can't make sense, that doesn't make sense, it must just be a metaphor. But there is no metaphor, brothers and sisters, which makes any sense. Some will say, well, his body was broken for us, just like the bread that he broke. But was it? He broke bread, not as a symbol of death, and surely that is a poor symbol of death if I have ever heard one. When you break bread, one does not immediately think of someone dying. But he broke the bread to distribute it. That is what it means to break bread. Moreover, in the crucifixion, after his death, when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. These things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. It was a specific prophetic thing that Christ alone on the cross, unlike those crucified next to him, had no bones broken. He alone died without being broken. Certainly breaking bread is a poor metaphor for the death of the one whose bones were not broken. But the other glaring issue is this. Which part is the metaphor? Neither the bread nor the body make any sense, and so they say, is must mean represents. This is nonsense. Is never means represents. Even in other metaphors, which do exist and do use is, it never means represents. Take, for example, this man is a titan among men. Does that phrase mean this man represents a titan among men? No, it means this man is like a titan. And as we have seen, even if he did mean is like, how is bread like his body? As we have said, his body was not broken, and bread is a poor comparison to a body. No, the only way to faithfully read these words of Jesus is to believe what he said that the bread in the supper is his body, and the wine is his blood. Reason alone cannot comprehend it. We leave that, though, to God. How it can be is in his hands. He is far above all things and far higher than our reason. After all, reason says a virgin cannot conceive, yet we believe it. Reason says the dead do not rise, yet we believe it. Yes, Jesus said, this is my body and this cup is the New Testament in my blood, so let us believe him. And so, what do we do then in the sacrament where our Lord gives to us his holy body and his precious blood with bread and wine? The answer is in the words of our Lord. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Thus, he did not give us his body for the purpose of putting it in a tabernacle or monstrous to be worshipped and adored. He did not give us his body to be paraded about, leading it in procession. No, he gave it to us to be eaten and drunk. This is why he gives us his body and blood in the sacrament. Of course, one may reverence and adore and worship Christ who is present in the bread and the wine with his body and blood. For he is there, 
Christ is truly there during communion with his body and blood. But this happens in the context of eating and drinking. We do not, after communion, take away a, a host, put it away somewhere so that it may be worshipped. No, Christ did not say that. He says, take and eat and drink of it, all of you. Thus, the this do includes this. First, that we consecrate the bread and wine using his words, so that he may bless it himself and make it his body and blood for us. Then we distribute it. That is, that it is given to those penitent believers who come to the table. Then it is eaten and drunk according to his command. And in the whole of the sacramental action, the consecration, the distribution, and the reception, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Yes, the whole of this action is also a memorial. Just as the Passover meal was a memorial when they, where the slain lamb was eaten along with the other things commanded, and so too we have a memorial of the Lord's death and resurrection in this sacrament while we eat and drink the Lamb of God who gave himself as a sacrifice for us to deliver us from death. In eating and drinking his true body and true blood, we proclaim and remember his death and resurrection. It is not simply his body, but it is his body given for you. That is, given into death for the forgiveness of sins. It is not simply his blood, but it is his blood of the new covenant, the blood which was shed to bring us peace with God and to inaugurate a new covenant, a new testament between God and man in Christ Jesus, a covenant where all who are in Christ by faith receive the forgiveness of sins, as promised and prophesied throughout the Old Testament. Yes, it is his body and blood for you, his body and blood for your forgiveness. And as he instituted this on the night when he was betrayed, and as he went to offer himself for us, we cannot separate the supper from his death and resurrection. In fact, when we say the words, we always begin on the night when he was betrayed. So we continue to do this, as he said, until he comes again. St. Paul warns us also in our epistle that there is a wrong way of receiving the Lord's body and blood. He says, Whoever eats and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the Lord's body and blood. And if anyone eats and drinks in an unworthy way, he, because he does not recognize the Lord's body, he eats and drinks judgment on himself. There is a danger, brothers and sisters, that if we receive the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, we will be judged because we have sinned against the Lord's body and blood. This discipline from the Lord may include sickness and even death. But note, brothers and sisters, that St. Paul is not speaking of eternal judgment and eternal condemnation. No, the supper is for Christians who, as long as we are in Christ, are not under condemnation. Hear what he says. When we undergo judgment, we are being disciplined by the Lord so that we may not be condemned with the world. Yes, if we eat and drink unworthily, it is a sin, but he judges us so that he may not condemn us. He judges us in order to reprove us, to chastise us for our good, so that we may repent 
and that we may not be condemned with the world. It is a temporal judgment, a judgment in this life meant for disciplining, reproving, and correcting. So let us be careful then to receive the sacrament worthily. For the proper response to this warning of St. Paul is not to abstain forever, but rather to examine ourselves. For he says, let a person examine himself, and after so doing, let him eat the bread and drink the cup. The Lord does not expect us to be perfect in order to come to communion and to receive his body and blood. No, he, cannot, he came not to save the righteous, but sinners. He knows that we are not yet perfect in this life. The sacrament is not food for the perfect eaten in the halls of the saints, but it is medicine of immortality, which is distributed in the hospital for sinners. He gives us his body and blood so that we may have the forgiveness of our sins, and thus life and salvation. So how then do we examine ourselves that we may receive it worthily? First, we examine whether we have faith in Christ's own words regarding what he has said about the supper. For if you do not believe what he himself has said regarding this supper, why would you want to commune with him? But dear Christians, if you do believe his words, that it is truly his body and his blood given for you to eat and drink for the forgiveness of sins that is good and pleasing to our Savior. Second, we must examine our hearts, that there be nothing in them opposed to the sacredness of what is received in the supper. Now, that does not mean that we must be sinless. Rather, it means that we're not harboring or nursing sin. Surely, part of believing what Christ says about the supper is that it is for the forgiveness of sins. But that does not mean that we sin more, that grace may abound. Rather, the heart should be contrite, mourning its sins and repentant, turning from our sins and towards him who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, who promises to forgive our sins. If you acknowledge your sins and your sinful state, and are repentant of them, and desire the forgiveness which Christ our Lord gives, this is good and pleasing to our Savior. That is why he gave us this supper, this sacrament, this memorial of his passion, that coming to him with faith in his words, faith in him for justification and salvation, coming to him with repentant faith, we may receive the fruits of his cross and passion to life eternal. For surely he will come again and raise all, just as he was raised. And he desires, dear beloved of God, to raise you too, justified by faith in him, perfectly sanctified on that last day by the Holy Spirit. On that day, then this supper will end. But the marriage feast of the Lamb in his kingdom, which has no end, will begin. That, dear brothers and sisters, is the feast of saints where all who gather will be those whom God has called and justified and sanctified. All whom he has gathered will have been made holy and perfect by the work of God alone. There, brothers and sisters, we will feast forever with our great Savior, who gave himself for us. Thanks be to God. Amen.
And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.